Good morning, Glen Ellen Bible Church. Oh, y'all are sweet. Y'all are sweet. Um, it's so good to be back. I am so eager to preach. I, I keep telling people I'm, I'm like that freshman in high school who hasn't got on the basketball court all year long, finally gets on the court, and he's got so much energy, he scores in the wrong basket, right? I just feel wound up, ready to go. So I hope I'm not overwhelming to anybody today. If you're a visitor, and someone greeted me this morning as if I were a visitor, that wouldn't be nice. In fact, if you're new in the last three months, I feel like an introduction is in order. My name is Kelly. I serve as the senior pastor here at Glowing Bible Church. I've been away all summer on sabbatical, but I'd love to meet you if you're new in the last three months. In fact, I've put together a little meet and greet that I want to invite you to. It's in the bulletin. If you've got a copy of the bulletin, uh, it, the details are in the bulletin. It's next Sunday evening, the 19th, right across the street at Blackberry Market. Should be a lot of yummy desserts. Um, the desserts won't disappoint. Hopefully, I won't either. I'd love to introduce myself to you, get to know you a little bit. Do we have that slide, the meet and greet slide? It has desserts on it, so I'm hoping that'll entice some visitors <laughs> to join and be a part. We're working on it. So the uh, the details are in here. Grab the bulletin if you didn't on your way out, and the the link to register is there. I'd love to meet you. Now, to the Glowing Bible Church family, I want to say thanks. I know that sabbatical is a strange concept for many. That is not lost on me. In fact, GBC has been kind enough over the last 27 years that I've been at Glowing Bible Church, I started when I was 12, <laughs> to offer me three sabbaticals. And what a blessing each of them has been. Getting a three-month break from one's regular responsibilities to to focus on some special projects is a unique privilege and one that I don't take lightly, my family doesn't take lightly, and I want to say thank you. Thank you for your kindness and support to me in my, my gifts and my calling as one of the shepherds here at Glowing Bible Church. I'll be sharing some of my experiences from sabbatical over the coming weeks, working those experiences into my sermons as the Lord leads, as I feel like it's appropriate, but I want you to know that I come back to the pulpit not only thankful, but prayerful and very hopeful for what God's doing um, here at Glowing Bible Church, and I heard just tremendous things uh, about uh, the growth of God's good work in us over the summer, uh, but I come back hopeful for the, um, the church nationally, and I I feel like I can say nationally because I logged 14,000 driving miles this summer, visited 17 different churches in 12 weeks, mind you, worship services, and, um, and was just so encouraged by what I was able to see that God is doing in the church nationally. And I know that there is a lot of um, dust in the air, I guess you could say, about evangelical leadership. Uh, nationally, uh, but from what I saw, God is building his church, and that 99% of uh, pastors in America and congregants in America are doing their best, right, to help one another follow Jesus, so I come back hugely encouraged by what I say, saw. Finally, I want to say thanks, special thanks, to the staff who carried my responsibilities while I was away, and a particular thank you to John Vanderveld. Where is he, John? John, John carried the lion's share of my workload. John 
your hard work preaching week in and week out and leading was a special blessing to me. He has his head buried in the sound booth and he's not paying attention. Thank you, John. Thank you. All right. Today's the, the beginning of the ministry year, and uh, there's no better way to start than through prayer. Let's stand together and let me lead us to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to gather in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we're comforted by the knowledge that when we gather in your Son's name, that your Spirit is among us, working to convict us of sin and of righteousness through faith. Father, it is our desire to bring glory to your Son in the year ahead and to enter into the joy offered for those that are following him. May your Holy Spirit continue his powerful work in our lives opening our minds, opening our hearts to your word, and opening our mouths as we sing our confession as a community. Father, on this 20th anniversary weekend of 9-11, we are keenly aware that many, many around the world do not have the political freedoms that we enjoy and we know that there are many Christians who are daily persecuted, even targeted for their faith. Give us increased conviction and courage to live for your son in the days ahead. To love our neighbors selflessly and sacrificially and to share the good news of forgiveness through faith in Jesus with others. We pray for the persecuted church around the globe. The church in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Turkey the church across the Middle East, the church in China, that they would persevere, holding fast to the testimony of your son's birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and soon return. Father, let your church rise up across this nation and across the globe and take its rightful place as the pillar and foundation of truth in the world. Finally, in the year ahead, Father, we would ask that you would give us increased understanding of your character and purposes. We'd also ask that you would strengthen our relationships with each other and that our relationships with one another would be full of grace and truth, that we would spur one another on to love and good deeds. In the name of Jesus Christ, let's say amen together. Amen. amen. This morning we begin a 10-week sermon series in the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. On the screen is the opening line of that book from which it draws its name. The author of the book, who I believe to be the Apostle John, began by writing that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our English word revelation, thus the name of the book, comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means unveiling or revealing. When we hear the word apocalypse, most think of the catastrophic events that accompany the end of the world. There are certainly catastrophic events recorded in this book, but the actual meaning of the word is unveiling, revealing, which gives the book its name. Imagine in your mind's eye, God, as it were, pulling back the curtain, unveiling, right? Pulling back the curtain of time and space to show his people what is coming? Of course, the question is, what does God reveal? What's revealed? 
as the curtain is pulled back. This question made me think of The Wizard of Oz. I'm not sure why. Do you remember the movie? It came out in 1939, so I won't worry too much about giving the plot line away. 1939. But if you're unfamiliar with the story, a young woman named Dorothy, along with her cute dog Toto, are caught up in a tornado and carried from Kansas to the land of Oz. Once there, wanting to get back to Kansas, Dorothy's directed to follow the yellow brick road to the Emerald City, where she can ask the wizard for help in getting back home. On her way to the Emerald City, she meets several others who also have needs, the scarecrow, the tin man, the lion, each of whom join in on the journey to visit the wizard. The scarecrow wants to ask the wizard for a brain, more understanding. The tin man wants to ask the wizard for a heart. He feels like his maker left that out of him and he can't feel. The lion wants to ask the wizard for courage because he's always overwhelmed by fears. And together they are off to see the wizard. Maybe you remember the song. As they approach the wizard, there is fire and there's smoke and there's flashes of lightning. We'll see that in the book of Revelation as well. God, uh, sorry, no, the wizard. <laughs> the wizard appears to be powerful. But surprisingly, he stalls in granting their request. Frustrated with the wizard, they begin demanding that he help them just as they've asked him to do and to help them immediately. When Toto, the little dog that's been along for the ride on this journey, steps off stage left and grabs the curtain with her teeth and pulls back unveils, as it were, what's going on behind the scenes. And it's not all that it seemed to be. Let's watch this scene together. Please, sir, we've done what you told us. We brought you the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. We melted her. Ah, oh, you liquidated her, eh? Very resourceful. Yes, sir. So we'd like you to keep your promise to us, if you please, sir. Not so fast. Not so fast. I'll have to give the matter a little thought. Go away and come back tomorrow. Tomorrow? Oh, but I want to go home now. You've had plenty of time already. Yeah. Do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. I said come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you'll keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh. The great Oz has spoken. Oh. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great and Oz has Spoken. Who are you? Oh, I, I, I am the great and powerful wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I yes. don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Yeah. Uh, yes, that's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I, I'm a very good man. I'm just a... Very bad wizard. 
I love, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. When the curtain's pulled back, the wizard's found to be a fake. But in the very next scene, still wanting to help, the man who is a very good man but a really bad wizard, he offers gifts to the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion. He offers to the scarecrow who wanted a brain a diploma. And he gives to the lion a medal of bravery. Remember, he wanted courage. He was always afraid. And he gives to the tin man this heart-shaped clock that's ticking. He wanted to feel. And in giving these gifts, the wizard explains, or the man, (laughs) he explains to them that all they really need in life is within themselves. Don't miss this. His message to them is that they are their own greatest resource. Which means that this beloved childhood movie is a tale of self-sufficiency. They were looking for external hope and comfort and encouragement and strength from someone greater than themselves, the great wizard of Oz. But the writers of the script want us to know that when the curtain is pulled back, When reality is shown for what it really is, we are our own greatest resource. This means that the Wizard of Oz is a purveyor of humanism. Meaning it's teaching that humanity is not deity, but humanity is the prime mover in history. We're our greatest hope. Folks, this morning as we begin the book of Revelation, some of us need courage, don't we? like the lion. Some of us need understanding because the events of life can be terribly confusing. Some of us need encouragement because our hearts have grown numb by the pain that we've absorbed over time. But make no mistake, Revelation is not a tale of self-sufficiency. Thank God. As the curtain is pulled back, God is shown to be the prime mover and our greatest hope. Remember, John opens the book writing, the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you have your copy of God's word open, you might circle of, I don't know. I marked my Bible up. The word of here means both from Jesus Christ and about Jesus Christ. In other words, this book is from him, it's about him. He is our greatest hope, he is our greatest power, he is our greatest strength. Whatever lies ahead in life for us, we are not our greatest resource. Whatever we're facing today, we're not called to self-sufficiency. John 6, the flesh counts for nothing. The Spirit gives life. To be honest with you, self-sufficiency is one of the, if not the, greatest and most pervasive myths of our age. Think about it with me. How can we really be self-sufficient when we didn't decide to be born, 
I wasn't in charge of that. We didn't decide into what family to be born or with what gifts or abilities or with what burdens to be born. Now, some of us were born into lots of burdens. Everything in life we have received, and as God pulls back the curtain of time and space, we're called to see him high and lifted up and trust in him, depend upon him. He has everything under control. With that in mind, turn with me in your copy of the scripture. If you're not already there, to Revelation chapter 1. Follow along as I read just the first eight verses. As you're turning there, I'll give you just a little bit of background. Revelation, I'll give more each Sunday. Uh, There's a lot of data (laughs) with regard to the book of Revelation. Written, we'll start here, written to seven specific churches. Spread out in a region called Asia Minor, That area today is located in modern Turkey. Picture on the screen details the names of the churches and their their locations. As we get into the book, you'll see that John addresses the churches counterclockwise. Ephesians, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Uh, John, um, this summer, preached through the, uh, the book of Colossians, which is just south of Laodicea, if it were on the map. Laodicea was in Asia, uh, Colossae was in Asia Minor as well. But these are the seven churches to which the book is addressed. And I, I mention this because as we wrestle with interpreting the meaning of this book in the days ahead, it's important to understand that it cannot mean for us something that it could not have meant for them. The book was written for us most certainly. That's why we're reading it, giving it time and attention this morning. God, in his sovereignty, had in mind believers spread out through all the ages, now 21 centuries later, that we would read the revelation given to John, that we would grow as a result and find hope as a result. But it was written to seven specific churches, and that context is important. The Christians in these seven cities were facing all types of hardship, and as God unveils what is to come in order He does so in order that they might be comforted and strengthened in their knowledge, specifically that evil will not win in the end. They're not their greatest resource. They're not to be self-sufficient. They're to be Christ-sufficient. He is sufficient. And evil does not win. We need the message, don't we? That evil does not win. We need it because of things like Disasters, natural disasters, crime that runs rampant, disease, war, hate. They do not win. In fact, I assume that is one of the primary reasons most of us are here this morning. We need to hear that God will triumph over evil and that continuing in our faith in Jesus despite the difficulties that we face is the wisest way to live. Follow along as I read the first eight verses. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud, we can expect a blessing, 
the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. Lord, give us ears to hear. And take it to heart. Take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Before I dive into the details of this passage, I want to invite you to sub submit any questions you might have to our podcast. We're going to kick it back off. We took the summer off of the last three months, and uh, we'll sit down tomorrow morning and record again our podcast called The Next Level Podcast. It's also in the bulletin, so if you don't have the number, the, the number is in the bulletin. You can grab it. Text any questions you might have about today's sermon, faith in general, um, Whatever is on your heart and mind about the church, we'll do our best to sit down tomorrow and answer those questions. I'm excited the podcast is going to get rebooted as we begin this ministry year as it helps me to grow. Wrestling with the questions that you've asked over the last three or four years has helped me to grow. It helped all the hosts on the podcast grow. So the general rule is the harder the question, the better. The more embarrassing the question, the more fun. So don't hesitate to ask. One of the first things to note about the book of Revelation is that it is a four-stage revelation, which means that it is the product of a line of communication that stretches from God the Father to God the Son to an angel of Christ's choosing to John to the church. The picture on the screen illustrates this. Why does this matter to us? What about this reality might change our behavior in the week ahead? or change the way we parent our kids, or change the way we interact with our spouse this week, or change the way we relate to fellow students, or change the way, most importantly, we perceive God and relate to him, our Father, our Creator. First, it matters, hey, John, the people over here are being blinded by the sun. Thank you. First, it matters because it means that God has spoken. God the Father and God the Son have made their person and their purposes and plans known to us, which means that we can receive encouragement and comfort and insight and strength to face the trials of life because God has spoken. And he has spoken for our good. In fact, the message is supposed to provide, note this, grace and peace. That's John's greeting. We take this greeting as a throwaway statement, something to get by quickly and get into the meat of the book. 
when in actuality God has spoken so that we might experience his favor, his grace, his peace, his comfort, and his blessings. Don't forget, blessed are those who read this aloud, hear it, and take it to heart. God has made himself known so that we know his grace and his peace and his blessings. And who can't use more of those? In fact, the entire premise of the Bible is that God has broken into time and space. That's the entire premise. He's broken into time and space. He is pursuing us from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. God making himself known and available to us. God has spoken so that we can escape evil and the corruption that's in this world through sin and begin to receive his love and his goodness. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, we read, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has spoken. So John's description of the four-stage revelation is important for us because it clearly portrays God's spoken. Do we believe that? It's important for another reason as well. It's important because it shows that God continues to speak. Not only has God spoken in times past in various ways, he continues to speak. God the Son delivers to an angel the revelation that he received from God the Father. This angel delivers it to John. John writes it down or has a scribe write it down as he details this Amazing revelation, and he sends it off to the seven churches, and it makes its way counterclockwise, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon. I forget the rest, but it's counterclockwise. (laughs) And then it makes its way to us. God has involved, he has spoken, and this is quite fascinating and he's involved created beings. God the Father speaks to God the Son. God the Son goes to an angel. Did he need to go to an angel? No, he didn't have to go to an angel. God the Son chooses to impart revelation to a created being. That angel, charged with their messengers, charged with carrying it to John, who's entrusted another created being, right? John's a human like we are. He writes it down or gets it written down and it goes off to these seven churches, more human beings. The revelation, the unveiling of God, the pulling back of the curtain that God is supreme, he's in control, evil will not win, Christ is sufficient, is entrusted to us. You, me. I've detailed that, changing my little diagram, we are that red line that comes after the seven churches. You've been entrusted with the revelation of God. It's interesting, I'll just, you know, in, every, in all our jobs, we tend to do what's urgent, right? The urgent, right, gets the lion's share of our attention. And if there's not a phone ringing or a text message or an email to answer, then we may not get to it. Y'all know how this is. I'm not the only one. 
such that things that are really urgent, like sharing the revelation of God, the good news that God wins in the end, God will have his way, Christ is sufficient, and sharing that can get pushed to the back burner. After having three months off from my regular responsibilities and getting to do some special projects, right, I wanted to come back in the right way. I wanted, to, I wanted to reboot this next season. Hopefully, Lord willing, I'll have another seven years here. Right? I just don't want to be presumptuous. <laughs> I wanted to reboot the next seven years the right way and make what is truly urgent, urgent. And so, Tuesday morning, the first day, I was back from my sabbatical this week. I started by, out on the train platform handing my story of conversion to people that are commuting into Chicago. And so I just, I've written it down on a little card. I'd be happy to share it with you. It's basically the, ele the elevator speech, right? Something you say in 30 seconds. And I'm out there on the train platform and just handing it, hey, could I share my story with you? Folks, we have been entrusted with the revelation of God. He's spoken in times past. He's still speaking through us, his people. If you see me down on the train platform, be nice to me. Don't throw things at me. And I bump into Bible churches from time to time, which is a lot of fun. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Blessed simply means happy, well-adjusted. Who wouldn't want that, right? I want to be blessed. You're here today. You want to be blessed. If you're familiar with Scripture, you might, it might bring to mind for you Psalm 1, which also promises blessings. It's on the screen. Blessed is the one. Happy is the one. Well-adjusted is the one. Well-off is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delights in the law of the Lord, that is the word of God, the revelation of God, who meditates on it day and night. That person is blessed. They're like a tree planted by streams of water. They're well off. They're well suited. They yield their fruit in season. Their leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Interestingly, the book of Revelation has seven identified blessings in it. The blessing promised in verse 3 of reading aloud, hearing it, and taking it to heart. That's the first of seven blessings. They're sprinkled throughout the book. I'll say more about the significance of numbers, like the number 7, in the days ahead. It's, it's not a coincidence that in this first eight verses... There are seven blessings and seven churches, and there's a sevenfold spirit before the throne of God. In short, numbers in the book of Revelation are often used to communicate a message beyond the quantity they represent. Should I say it again? Numbers in the book of Revelation are often used to communicate a message beyond the quantity that they represent. Seven, in this case. Seven is not the total number of churches that are supposed to read aloud the message of this book, right? It was written to seven churches, but many, many more are two. So um, there's a meaning in seven beyond the, the quantity, seven. The number seven in the ancient world actually represents perfection, fullness, 
completeness. And so in this regard, if seven represents perfection in the ancient world, completeness, fullness, we might discern from that that there is a blessing. There is a perfect blessing. Yes, there are seven enumerated in the book of Revelation for sure, but there's an eighth and there's a ninth. There is a fullness, a completeness of blessing. There is a perfection of blessing for those who read this aloud, take it to heart, hear it, take it to heart. If you're looking for a Trinitarian statement, it's interesting. I look for Trinitarian statements throughout Scripture. We'll go back real quick. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was. There's no slide for this, Jonathan. It says, grace and peace to you from him who is, was, and is to come. That's God Almighty. He says it again at the end at verse 8. I'm in verse 4 if you got your copy of Scripture. And from Jesus Christ. So we know that the revelation here is distinguishing between God the Father and God the Son. What's interesting, he says, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Are y'all following me here? I find this interesting. It's minutia. The Trinity matters. It holds some people up from believing. But we've got in verse 4 and 5, God the Father, who was and is and is to come, and from Jesus Christ, and from the seven spirits before his throne. If seven, and there's seven churches, and, and it's not just those seven churches, and there's seven blessings, but it's not just those seven blessings. If we've got seven spirits, we have here the full spirit. We have the complete spirit. We have the perfect spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a Trinitarian statement in verses 4 and 5. I think that's beautiful. All right, I geeked out there for a minute. It may bring to mind when we consider the blessings of God that they're perfect, they're complete, they're full. To those who receive his revelation, it may bring to mind Ephesians 3.20 that God can do more than we can ask or even imagine. So God's spoken, he's still speaking. Here's the question, and I'm really late in my sermon to get to it. What's he saying? God's spoken, it's really clear in the first eight verses, God's still speaking, we're charged to carry this revelation. What is he saying? I want to settle in here for a minute. The book of Revelation is considered by many to be the most difficult book in the Bible. It's filled with all types of strange sights and sounds and symbols. I want to encourage you now to be reading ahead. Someone met me at the door this morning, you talk about intimidating, you haven't preached in three months, somebody meets you at the door and says, I read through the book twice recently, I'm so pumped. <laughs> my daughter said to me recently don't screw this up dad <laughs> it's filled with all types of strange sights and sounds and symbols that doesn't mean we can't understand anything in it it's difficult for sure it's a difficult book but it's not an impossible book I'll admit that much of the book is difficult to understand, but I will also, and we must also admit, that much is easy to understand, like today's passage. We know God's spoken. We know that he's still speaking, and he's doing that through us. What is he saying? It's fairly straightforward. When the curtain's pulled back, God the Father is exalting God the Son. 
When the curtains pulled back, the spotlight's placed on Jesus. His ministry, his victory over death, his authority ongoing. In fact, everything that is to come in the end flows from, through, and because of the central role of this man who's more than just a good man. He's also God himself. Here's a quick summary in the passage of who Christ is for us. Jesus is a faithful witness. Witness actually there is from the Greek word martyr. He's a faithful dyer for us. He died for us. He's a faithful witness. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, first raised, and there'll be many more who have faith in him. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Thank goodness. Wherever you're at politically, <laughs> I'm thankful Christ is the ruler of all the leaders of the earth. He loves us. Mm. He's freed us from our sins by his blood. He's made us a kingdom. We're to reign with him. And priests, we're to minister to one another. He's to receive glory and power forever. He's returning with the clouds and everybody's going to see him. God unveils in his revelation the supremacy, the superiority of Jesus. We're to read aloud. We're to hear. We're to take to heart that Christ is faithful. Christ is victorious over death. Christ has authority over all the kings of the world. Christ loves us. Christ has freed us from the power of sin by his blood. He He's reigning. We reign with him. He's appointed us as a kingdom and a priesthood. We're to give him glory. That's what we're to take to heart. Because he's our greatest hope. Self-sufficiency is not our greatest hope. We're not our greatest hope. Christ is. The blessing comes. The well-adjusted life, the well-suited life is ours when we hear about Jesus and take it to heart. <laughs> what does it mean to take it to heart? It's really simple. We know we're taking the revelation of God to heart when we're obeying Jesus. How can I say that? Because over and over and over throughout Scripture, hearing and doing are inseparably linked. Hearing the Word of God and doing what you heard are inseparably linked. Do not merely be hearers of the Word of God, James writes, chapter 1, verse 25 of his, his letter to the church. Don't merely be hearers. Don't just give it ear service. Be doers of the Word of God. Take to heart. The ministry, the victory, and the authority of Jesus by being obedient to him. I'll give you just a smattering. Things like turn the other cheek. Treating others as you'd like to be treated. Forgiving lavishly, just as you've been forgiven. Serving others selflessly. Washing one another's feet, Christ's example. Carrying your cross daily. Following the teachings of Jesus will certainly change how we relate to each other. Change the way we parent, interact with our spouses, relate to fellow students, 
Point of fact, one of the ways you can take an inventory about whether or not you're going to experience the blessing of God, are you hearing, are you taking it to heart? You can walk it backwards. You can say, well, am I obeying? Where there's disobedience in our lives, you can go backwards. You can say, oh, I'm not hearing about Jesus. I'm not taking it to heart. And you can call out to the Father, Father, I, I don't want to be disobedient. I want to know the blessings of God. I want to know your blessings. I want to, to help me take it to heart. Help me take it to heart. Can I pray for us toward that end? Father, we ask for your grace and goodness to us. Help us take to heart the revelation of God of Jesus Christ from him and about him. Work in our hearts and minds, even today, birthing faith for your glory and our good. Amen.